From a whisper to a roar, our voice has grown in strength and volume. Echoes from our past guide our future as we explore the woman's voice. Today, you know, like all of my podcasts is, they're all very special, but today's extra, extra special because I have a lady that I've admired uh, for a few years now in in her campaign and, and where she is now in the public eye. Without any further ado, I'm just going to get straight to it and welcome Lady Maris Nina Shrina. How are you? Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. It's an absolute honor to have you. And thank you for taking the time because it's so important for the ladies out there to to hear your story about finding your voice and your journey. I think it's important we all hear each other's stories so that we know that if we're struggling, everyone has struggled and been in that position as well. And to normalize that struggle. Life is not easy sometimes. So, yeah. Absolutely. Well, tell us about how your voice has led you here today? I um, I had a very normal childhood as a lot of us do and I'm really blessed for that. I didn't realise just actually how normal it was until I started working in the charity sphere for the last two and a half years and that other people didn't have the same kind of um, childhood um, as me. But I can say that that normal um, meant that I was able to freely observe and, and to do those things. And as I grew up, my life has certainly not been easy. There has, I think that everyone is given an allotment of suffering or misery, but I actually have to look back on that and all those experiences in my life. And I think those are the things that have made me or brought me to this point where I'm able to hear what has been said, um, to understand, because you can hear Anyone can hear what people are saying, but if you do not understand it, there's really no purpose in it. And and then just to be able to understand that um, on a heart level has been able to be so instrumental in me because, um, and just to explain, um, the the role of Lady Mayoress, it's a very unique role and it's probably one of its only type in, I'm sorry, in Australia at the moment. And it is an unpaid position, it's full-time and you run the Lord Mayor's Charitable Trust. And, and what that is, is that you have to raise a large amount of money because we deal specifically with the smaller charities. Um, in Brisbane right now, there's 3,000 charities that are um, for tax deductible purposes registered. 2,000 of those are small, and that means they get $250,000 or less. And so we really do spend a lot of time with those smaller charities that are doing just such amazing things for the people of Brisbane but I wouldn't have been able to understand or appreciate any of that if first these things, I didn't live through them and I keep living through them and um, it really has defined me. So that's how I would say my voice has changed over the years, but um, there's been a great purpose to that experience. I think that you're a fine example to something that I call heartfelt leadership. And I think, you know, leaders of today like yourself are really coming up through the community with that sense of deep compassion Mm. and really listening beyond the words and getting to the core of what the major problems are going on. What are some of the things that you're recognising that's going on in the community that keep coming up, uh, particularly from a female perspective? Look, I think I was at an awards program a couple of years ago 
and I think it was to do with the Australian movies, something like that. I, I really can't recall. But in one of the patrons had had in in those little things that you get um, that you read through. Um, he had had a little bit of a comment and in his comment he had started a doubt and I've never forgotten the wording of it. He said, right now there is a critical need for empathy. He used those exact words, a critical need for empathy. And I would have to say that um, what COVID has taught us, um, I don't, I'm not sure if we've learned necessarily the lessons of it. I think it's been very hard on um, individuals, um, especially those people who are isolated and um, we have drawn together as a community, especially in Brisbane, because we are known for that. We are known for our community spirit. I mean, look at how we were in the floods. But in other parts of Australia, we've seen that there has been a fragmenting, fragmenting of that. I think if you look around as well, and this is certainly being brought to my attention, I think Frances Whiting um, from the Korea Mount, um, she made the point to me that she believes because of COVID that um, many of us have this almost low level but high functioning level of anxiety and depression at the moment because we're really unaware of what the future holds. Mm. And I think that she made an excellent point because when I do talk to people, they do have a lot of concern for the future. They do have, because we, we it is an uncertain future. And with uncertainty comes that stress or that anxiety about what will that look for me as a person? What will it look for my family, my job? And all those things that we've always kind of almost taken for granted. All of a sudden, those parameters have changed. And here we are, not being necessarily, because we haven't gone through world wars, because we haven't done those, we may not have that resilience that perhaps other generations have had. I'm not saying that if certain individuals or groups of society doesn't have that resilience. I'm certainly saying, though, that I have seen that this has certainly affected people. Mm -hmm. And the thing that I have seen that has affected people is that isolation. Now, I have been in um, quarantine myself and I was in quarantine. I went to, um, I travelled with Adrian, um, my husband, and we went to Adelaide last year. And it just so happened we were at the very end of um, when one of those outbreaks happened and we ended up being to quarantine for two weeks at home. Thank God it was at home. Mm. And we had those four young children with us, which was a very special surprise, um, all of us on top of each other. But then I got to the end of that and I thought, do you know what? I'll never get that time back with that family again. But it gave me a deep appreciation for this one thing. I had my four children and I had my husband when I was isolated. Mm. What was it like for people who were alone or who were in aged care facilities who were not able to see their family, their grandchildren, or for whatever reason? And that made me so sad for those people. Yeah. And and so we come back to that central point that I made. We're all a bit cranky at the moment. That uncertainty hasn't necessarily brought out those finer points or the softer ones. Mm. And at a time when we really do need to be showing that critical empathy, the critical need for empathy, perhaps we're so oversubscribed, we're not in a position to do it even to ourselves and others. And that would be that would be the biggest comment that I would make. A long answer, sorry. <laughs> no, no, I love it. I, I, I'm glad that you're prepared to go down the rabbit warren because I think that there's so many conversations that we can be having. I just wanted to touch on talking about leadership. I have uh, my daughter went through grade twelve last year, and I watched those kids go through the trauma of that. But it gave me a philosophy and a perspective where I really, truly do believe that in 20 years' time, we'll be able to look at that cohort in the community and go, there's a grade 12 
COVID kids because I feel mm. like the resilience and the um, the ability to get through something, as you, you mentioned, war, you know, yeah. we don't have a culture of that. It, this isn't war, of course, and I'm, I'm not suggesting that it's anything like war, but it's the first time in many, many decades that there's anything that a cohort would go through. Do you agree with me on that or have you got something to add to that? Unquestionably. I think that I look back, you know, you, you talk about year 12s or you talk about university students, you talk about people who are getting married. There's a whole group of people that were um, extra affected and, um, you know, we take for granted the fact that we got to have our formal, that we got to go and, you know, um, have all the experiences of the first year of university, whatever they were for whoever you are. But there's an entire generation of people that didn't get that and that were denied it. But the thing is that denial sometimes, resistance is muscle, well, muscle is built by resistance and continual resistance. And I would say that this has built a very big muscle mm. and that sometimes that denial, um, we learn more from trial than we ever will from abundance. And, in fact, I know personally with myself, I've never really... I learn in the bad times. I learn, learn when it's particularly hardest. I wish it wasn't that case, but it was. And, in fact, I know that there's a whole um, cohort, to use one of your words out there, that say, oh, you know, your past or your experiences don't define you. Well, in my part, um, my challenges in my life have defined me and how I've responded to them certainly have. And they have built that resilience and they have built that, um, that strength. Um, and they have actually built that compassion and empathy and I know that some people don't get that experience. Sometimes it, your experiences in life can embitter you, but sometimes it is a choice. Mm -hmm. And I think that we're going to see, and I, I, I look forward to the future and I really certainly hope, while I'm sorry for the fact that they didn't have these experiences, life is filled with experiences, but it's also filled with disappointments. And it's how we respond to those disappointments that's going to define us ultimately as human beings. And I think that you're right. It is my hope that these this generation will respond with an extra dose of resilience because that has never an extra dose of resilience has never hurt anyone. No, no. Having a public voice has a certain level of responsibility. Do you think being in the public eye has changed your voice at all? Yes, it has. When I first started this role, and I'm ashamed to admit it, I didn't realise how big the need was in the community. That if you scratch that veneer of civilization, there's a lot of need, there's a lot of pain, there's a lot of trauma just underneath. We just don't look at it because, you know, we, we do have to continue on with our lives, but there's a whole heap of people out there that for whatever reason didn't get the same start that we did in life or there's been something like cancer or abuse or domestic violence that has really arrested their development or the way they're living their life. And I realised how lucky I was or how blessed to be in a situation where I could say, oh, wow, look at this. Look what's happening. And, you know, and I know, Lisa, you were at an event with us on Friday for the Lord Mayor's Charitable Trust. During that time, for example, and this is when um, I did use the voice that came with this role, the responsibility, I talked about the fact um, that women over 55 are the most likely to be homeless 
um, and they're the mm-hmm. fastest growing demographic of homelessness, women over 55. And there's a, a number of reasons for that. Um, and maybe they've, um, they've they've done the right thing all their lives, they've looked after children, they may not necessarily have work, therefore they don't have the superannuation buffer, the divorce didn't work out for them, um, they haven't been able to recoup from that divorce, they haven't been able to get the necessary money for um, a house deposit because they're at the end of their earning capacity Um, and you know these women they've done the right thing but they also aren't going to complain about it they're going to quietly go into that they don't want to be a burden on society Um, you know that 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 generation was um, they weren't complainers and and that's the problem here and so right now in Brisbane there's 700 women who are displaced or um, or homeless for whatever reason in their cars um, couch surfing those kind of things so um, and that that is a devastating thing um, and and to just shine that light and do you know there's a charity it's called the Forgotten Women and they're doing such great work with that and they fall under the umbrella of mangrove housing and so we were able to tell a whole room of amazing women with their voices about this issue. And, you know, I wouldn't have known about this issue until um, it was told to me. And then we were able to share this and we started a movement of concern and love and empathy for these women. We were able to raise um, money for them and other women's charities um, to support them. And because what they do find uh, is critical is early intervention for these women of a certain age makes all the difference. If there is early intervention, they have every hope for a bright future, that this is just a unfortunate, challenging chapter. It's not the end. And that's what we need to remind them. We need to, as a society, start thinking about investing in fences at the top of the cliff, not hospitals at the bottom. And that is a prime example of using that voice while we can to save those people so they don't go over the cliff, so that they're not forgotten and they are not invisible. Whoa, that was a, that was a huge picture. It absolutely hit my heart space. The um, the cliff picture. Yeah, it was a phenomenal day on on Friday, and that the video that you ran on the forgotten women was extraordinarily strong and powerful. You mentioned something there about women not wanting to be a burden and they just want to be polite and they don't want to ruffle feathers. There is grace in that and it's it's admirable at some level. But how do we get women generally? Because I see this as, you know, in, in our community down here in Logan with the work that my husband does, Stuart, and, and I see it in my work that I do day to day that there's this cultural habitual pattern that goes on in women not wanting to ruffle feathers and therefore ending and finding themselves up into a situation that's, you know, not supporting them. How do we move this culturally? Well, you've just pointed it out there. This is a cultural thing. And this didn't happen overnight. This has happened over centuries, millennia, and, and it's a conditioning And I think that if you are conditioned to feel one way, you can be conditioned and educated to feel a different way. And I think there's a lot of, there's a big movement that's encouraging us. And I don't think that there's ever a reason to be strident or um, to be unnecessarily rude, but that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about the fact, yeah, yeah, we're talking about just having that, stop saying sorry, for example, um, for doing basic things that it wouldn't even occur to 
a, a woman to say. Like, for example, in a corporate conversation, did you know that um, men will do 75% of the talking? Yeah. 75%. Yeah. And you just think, why? And it's because it's very hard with conditioning. Actually, was it a drug arm? I've got to tell you this story because I love it. And it's actually almost directly relevant here. And was it a drug arm event on um, Monday and their head person, I can't remember his name, but he's just the most amazing person. He said, he told the story of a grandfather and a small boy at a fair. And um, at this affair, he saw a, um, a, a big elephant that was tied to the ground by a small stake with a, a chain. And he said, Grandpa, that, that elephant, he can break that chain. Why doesn't he? And he said, because um, when he was little, he couldn't. So when he was older, he didn't even try. And I think if you apply that to so many situations in our life, and I think this is a really good idea, we are conditioned and then when we're older, we kind of almost don't. But I think the fact is that in the last couple of years, especially, there has been just this huge movement of change for what I, for one, um, completely support because the thing about um, equal representation is that a balanced society requires balance, yeah. everyone having their say. This is not a privilege for a woman to speak. It is a basic human right. Mm-hmm. And I just think that as we go, that conditioning will wear off. Mm-hmm. As the more we talk about it and we normalise that and have these discussions right now, mm-hmm. that that will take care of it. And there will be some times when we have to take it off manual, we have to put it into gear, and we have people and amazing women out there who have these ferocious voices that they do not hesitate to use and power to them because they are speaking for all of us. Yeah, yeah. Can we just go down that pathway for a moment about having those difficult table uh, conversations at the table? And I know that I hear and can many, many, many times that I was at the table, I said something, I put an idea forward and it didn't land. And But then Tom came in next week and said basically the same thing and it landed and I, and I always go straight to the question, well, how did you deliver it? Were you del- delivering it with clarity, with conviction, with gravitas? Or were you can delivering it with question thinking that you're not actually going to be heard? Do you think that the perspective of the way that the woman turns up the table is part of the problem? No. No? I think in the example that you have just said, it's this. You've talked about delivering, but let's talk about receiving. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes if someone has a great idea, um, especially a woman or a man, mm-hmm. then perhaps it's the person hearing it and not receiving appropriately. And so that's the shame here, especially if the same people come in, a man and a female in this particular case is what you're talking about, and one, a female, uh, a woman will give this pitch. Maybe it's the person who is receiving it who has the problem, who has that unconscious bias. I don't know how to deal with unconscious bias. It's a very difficult one. But I can tell you that it starts at the dinner table. I can tell you it starts with men. Now, not all men um, are the problem. In fact, most men, especially of these new generations, are very much wanting to work with it. But I can tell you 
most men may not be, but every single one of them is part of the solution. I'll tell you what my husband does, for example. He treats me completely equally. It is a non-issue at home. My voice is absolutely listened to. It is respected. He is marvellous and an amazing husband in regards to that, but my daughters and my sons will grow up with that example. They will see that. Normal. It doesn't matter in the end who is coming with it. It matters how you receive it. And so let's not take the emphasis off the woman delivering Let's take it off, the, put it onto where it belongs, the person receiving. Yeah, perfect. Can we go to your dinner table? Yes. And, and they're, they're living with great examples, your children. Are you doing anything specifically to work with not just your daughters but your sons as well in helping them overcome this? Yeah, look, we have made it very clear that to be human is to err, that there is no such thing sometimes as balance or perfection. Because if you look at balance, right, that means it's perfect. Sometimes, when does perfect perfection ever exist? We need to start raising children not expecting perfect, but to normalise the fact that struggle or um, having to fight for things and is actually true. And sometimes, and yes, it's unfair, but Injustice is actually part of our society. And the reason why injustice has been allowed to, especially in regards to the women's movement and their voices, is because those voices were stifled. And so at home, I can tell you that the boys are um, far more sensitive and the girls have that enormous voice. And believe me, you can hear that all the way down the block. (laughs) And that's not necessarily something we've done. It's a personality. But... We have made our expectations clear, even down to the small things. Don't hit your sister. Don't touch her ever. It's not okay. And, you know, obviously it's not great for um, aggression. Um, Children, when they're young, they do cyber. They can be a little bit robust, but we do make it very clear, and there is punishment, that if you're going to lay hands on your your sister, um, that's a no-no. We will not tolerate it. And so it's those small examples earlier on just that change it, and, and, and you know change with a small thing incremental change is the most lasting you it's like with a big cruise ship it doesn't turn suddenly it will turn slightly by degrees and that's what we need to do in society and I think that that we are doing that we are moving by degrees but it does it's that dinner table conversation it's that zero tolerance on bad behavior towards you know girls um, or, um, or whatever sex it doesn't really matter at a young age. No, I will not tolerate that behaviour. No, that is not acceptable. It's not acceptable. Do you feel 100% in tune and connected to your voice or is it a work in progress? Oh, look, I'm not the same person I was 10 minutes ago Um, (laughs) and I learn every day and I wish that I didn't learn the hard way, but I do, and that's that's about it's it's humanistic. And I can say that what I have learnt is that most things happen for a reason and that choice is how you receive it because you can't stop things happening to you. There's, in any given situation, things will happen to you and and they will be terribly unjust or unfair or or wonderful or undeserved. You know, it can go the opposite way, but it's that how you're going to decide. Is it going to make you a better person? Are you going to be able to use those experiences to help others? It's like today's trial is tomorrow's testimony. I know how to speak to people 
because of what I've gone through in the past as well. And I've been able to use that, but I would never have been able to understand that language had I not first been taught how to speak it. So I guess, has my voice changed? It changes every day. Yeah. Have you ever been afraid to speak your truth? I think I've always been polite. I've tried to be. Um, but no, I, um, I don't think so. I surround myself with people who all my close friends and I, we have a very upfront relationship and we have involved in that upfront relationship is a ventilation of any conflict. And never be afraid of conflict because that'll clear the air. Um, appropriate and healthy conflict, obviously. Um, yeah, so. I love I that ventilation that? of conflict. Ventilation. I've yeah. never heard that. You got to ventilate, and that's how the Beautiful. air gets in. If you don't ventilate, do you know what gets in? The dark corners mold. That's where resentment and bitterness is. Do you know what will change someone's personality faster than anything? Resentment and bitterness, unmet expectation. And the best way to get a, a, away from any of those things is to talk about it. To just get it out. Yep. Shift. Shift ventilate. the space. Shift the end. I love that. Yep. I'm going to take that one. Thank you, yep. Nina. <laughs> do you like the sound of your own voice? Um, I've actually never considered that. Um, I'm sure the kids don't necessarily like the sound of my voice sometimes. Well, that's uh, a point that's, I have to interject there because that's a minority. Most people immediately say no. Do you, oh. it's, it's really interesting. I've, I've had conversations with incredible people and I'll ask this question all the time. And they're like, no, I hate the sound of my own voice, which is just something else to hate about yourself. As yeah, as I've actually... I have never considered it. I have never considered the sound of my own voice. But I can tell you whose voice, having said that, can I just flip this question for a second? Do you know whose voice I really do like the sound of? Yours. You have oh, the most really? beautiful songbird voice. Yeah, it's this lilting cadence that just, oh, I think that the most someone has ever said to me is that I have a voice that puts them to sleep. And I thought, how lovely. <laughs> I'm not sure how to take that. But... <laughs> That's how it was. That was what it was said. But um, I'll take that. Okay. It's, yeah, it's not than, a bad thing. It's not, it's not a know, bad thing. It's not a bad thing. on the blackboard, is it? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so I don't know. I think that's for other people to um, make. I, I don't think that anyone can. It's just like no one can see adequately who they are. We have no kind of real perception on that's right. how we're received. And I think that's the same with a voice. Yeah, definitely. Apart from your voice, everyone feels the same. It is a beautiful, unique voice. Oh, thank you. That's That's precious. If Oprah's voice was a colour, what would it be? I think it would be green. I think it would be green, the colour of growth. This is a person who was able to, I guess, she is able to humanise people. She is able to narratise or tell the story in a way that everyone understands. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where her power is and I think that's probably why she's a billionaire because she <laughs> resonates with everyone. And so I guess the colour of her voice is green. Yeah, beautiful. Now, with that in mind, what colour do you think your voice is? Do you know, I don't think it's just one colour. I think it's it's a different colour. I think it's red when I talk to the kids. It's pink when I, I speak words of love or compassion. So it's a rainbow. It's, yeah, it's a rainbow. Yeah, it is a rainbow voice. Rainbow I've, voice. So, yeah, because it's never... 
it's according to the situation. You've got to use these instruments. It's it's it depends on how you play that instrument, and it depends on what you're using that for what purpose. And you know, yelling in one characteristic is not going to be appropriate when you should be whispering. So, yeah, different colors you're, at different times. You're very attuned. Let me ask: Have you did you play instruments when you were young? I was not musically gifted. No one was me sing. I can tell you, and. <laughs> I'm afraid that you talked about nouns on a blackboard before. That's probably me painting the violin. But having said that, just because I don't have a talent for it doesn't mean that I don't appreciate what other people do. In fact, I have to say that the older I get, the more I appreciate music and the power of it to soothe us, to change us, to evoke different things and emotions. So I've got to say um, you want to talk about a voice, but that music, oh, my goodness, how much. I mean, doesn't it? Music calms a savage beast. I mean, yeah. It's, it's the yeah. international language. There is it, no barriers. That's right. None. It's, it, it solves all issues as far as I'm concerned. Being Very a musician. much so. And thank you for having the ballet there last Friday. I must just drop Isn't that in. Exquisite. Oh, yes. We are so lucky to have that man in our city. Lee and for the listeners yes. out there, we're talking about Lee yes. Schwenzen, um, yes. obviously Mal's last answer. He is, and in, do you know, it's funny, people have actually said to me, my aunt has, um, she used to be an ice skater, a talented, well, famous one, and she said, he is my idol. I think he is the most amazing person. What's he like? What's he really like in real life? In real life, he is the most charming, lovely, genuine person who has transformed the landscape of how he, I've always loved ballet, but there's ballet and then there's ballet taught by Lee and you can just see and you can just see that his heart and his soul is in that art and you can see that the dancers respond to him and under his direction and tutelage it has just Mm -hmm. flourished Mm -hmm. and if anyone listens to this and goes I don't know what you're talking about I encourage you to go down to um, Queensland Ballet and have a look because just just do yourself a favor absolutely it's life it's life-changing yeah. Uh, just the complexities and, and and what I really particularly like about him is when we won't make the podcast about him, but what I you love should. about him, should. I should, is his balance between his creative mind and his business mind. Oh. And I think that, that yeah. there's a lot to learn for musicians and artists from him. Look, the, real, the reality is the arts, they need support. Um, from private benefactors and governments to put it on. And here is a man who is politely but strongly uses his voice to start a conversation that is impossible to ignore. And he, he never, ever, I think, his voice, that voice, it's so unique. And the way he uses it, so powerful. He takes everyone along with you and in the end you're just so excited. And I think actually out of everyone, you know, I always stop and I, I find him quite remarkable because, yes, his ability to advocate for that, the arts, but we're so much enriched as a as a, a city because having him here. We're so yes. lucky he's an international star. Yes. And But yet then he uses that voice to advocate for um, for the arts with all levels of government. Yeah. And you'll find that all levels of government, and I think that all levels of government do support the Queensland Ballet, I think, plus private benefactors, they all love it because they can see he's been able to articulate incredibly clearly his vision, but also to show it through the dancers. Yeah, no, he's he's absolutely marvelous. I want to change directions a little bit and talk about the imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. 
First of all, do you suffer from the imposter syndrome? I think before we go on, we should just define what an imposter syndrome is. Um, imposter syndrome is when you feel that you have capability about this big. And actually, Susanna George from the Urban List, I heard her talk about this one day, and she described it exactly like this. Um, your, you think your capability is this big, but your capability really is this big. And I will never forget watching her use her voice to genuinely talk about imposter syndrome. And I wish every woman could ever hear her talk. Um, The reality is that every woman does. We all have that. And I think men do too. Um, And, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You you look at and you go, don't look down because sometimes, you know, you look down then you just, then you kind of get scared about how high you are or where you are on the journey and that's where confidence comes in. But even people who are so self-confident, like everyone, there's, there's two lies out there. One, that you're meant to have it all together. And number two, that everyone else does. And and that's where this imposter syndrome comes in. Like, yeah. no, you aren't meant to have it all together because that's what life is. It's constant. And I wish it wasn't this way, but it's constant lesson learning. Mm-hmm. And number two, no one else does too. In fact, sometimes the better it looks, the worse it is. Not always. There's exceptions to that rule. Some people have perfect lives. It's true. Good on them. I don't, I don't know anyone, but no, I don't. I don't know anyone out there. But I'm saying that there, there must be someone out there. Sure, must be someone. Yeah. Do you have a theory as to why it's so prevalent today? Yeah, I do. Um, and I'm, I'm going to quote another person, um, Tracy Watkins. She's the um, yes. designer behind White Label Nova. Yes. A really lovely person. She has a heart for Brisbane. Um, she said to me, we were all sitting there, and she kind of just dropped this pearl and I loved it. Um, she said her mother used to always say that comparison was the thief of joy. And I have to say the fact that I can remember it, I have a terrible memory, is, you know, because I sat there and it just so completely resonated with every woman there. It was about 10 of us. Mm. And we just kind of stopped her and said, can you repeat that again? We're constantly bombarded with negative imagery on social media, but constantly told we have to have a six pack or this or to be validated. Or if you get it, you know, it's only a moment before you lose it or you never really should have had it. Or someone else is better than you. And that's the thing. When you're constantly bombarded with negative imagery or told how you really should be, then it's only a matter of time before you start believing it. And, and that's why I like really positive role models. You know, uh, I guess like Amy um, and Emma Shepherd. if you have a look at their social medias, they put it out there. These are these beautiful down-to-earth girls, but, you know, they um, are just such powerful oracles or advocates for body positivity. And, you know, here they are saying, look, don't listen out there. Don't look at the rest of the social media. Look at this. This is real. And they, they post the most amazing photos. And I've got to say power to them. doesn't mean that they don't get absolutely slammed on social media because sometimes they do. And that's probably very painful, but um, we have a whole heap of other people who are out there living it real, living it out there. And I think that the more people who start telling you how it really looks, how it's meant to be, not how um, some theory of unrealistic expectation or a perception of perfection that we're meant to perpetrate, which we cannot possibly do, it's going to be better for us. Don't put the highlights on. Put the lowlights on too. And you would know in um, my social media, I keep it real. Like it's it's real. And, and that's the thing. Let's start with reality. Yeah. Yeah. Why do you think it, that women find it so difficult to find their voice? 
I think it comes back to that conditioning. Yeah. Even if we find it, we're still very polite. And I think, as I said, I'm just going to say, yes, politeness is good, but don't let it get in the way of your power. Yeah. Um, and that's the thing. In our society, we are very polite. So that's to do with it, plus that, that conditioning which we talked about for centuries and millennia. And we are getting through it. Conversations like this, conversations that we have with other, encouraging other women. Do you know um, my favourite theory? Um, it's a theory, but I think it actually should be a practice for every woman. It's called the um, the Shine Theory, and it's by a woman called Aramenthal. I can't I can't pronounce her name. Sal Sal S O W. Okay. Anyway, she developed this thing called the Shine Theory, and she was saying. Do we work better as a group collaboratively or do we work better individually? And she said you'll find that nine times out of ten, the results will be so much better, brighter, um, and um, the voice heard so much louder when we work collaboratively rather than individually. And so that's the thing. I believe in sisterhood. I really do. The older I get, the more I ascribe to that. So I really like the shine theory because we shine brighter when we shine together. And so if you think about just one star or do we have a whole heap of stars and that is just supersonic. Yeah. What's one piece of advice that you would give to women to help them reconnect to their voice? Don't compare yourself. No one's got it together. You are beautiful. You are amazing. Don't listen to that voice. And if it's in your head, you've got to crash the chatterbox. Stop listening to that internal monologue. Mm. Turn it off. Unsubscribe. You're amazing. <laughs> I love that. What's your intention when you walk into a room? More precisely, how do you want people to feel when you leave? If I walk into a room, I want them to know if they meet me that I will listen to them and that not just listen, that I will hear them and that if they have a message that they need to communicate. And I guess you said to me before something about leadership. Do you know, I don't think of it as leadership. I think of it as stewardship. I think of it even as servitude in some way, like you are there to serve. And it's a, it's a word that is often very misused, but be of service be of help. Don't put yourself always first. And I know there's times when you have to be healthy and you do have to prioritize your mental health and things like that. I'm talking here generally. Yeah. Ask, you know, that saying, ask not what you can do, um, what the country can do for you, but what can you do for your country, but also do that for other people. We're all in this together. And the more we help each other, and there's so many people out there that need our help. Yeah so many and the more we love them um and remember sometimes it is people who are the most at their most unloving that really need that love mm. and so when I walk into a room I walk into it with a spirit of help help helpfulness I want people to know that I am there that I want to hear them and I will act on that and I want them to know I guess what I would like is if I were to leave a room to feel confident that they were heard and understood and I think that's, you know, I have to commend you in that you do do that in the rooms that I've been in and you've been there. Thank you. you. You make the room feel safe 
And I think that I think that that's for me the ultimate. I always, when I walk into a room, if I'm working with someone or if whatever the situation, if I can make someone feel safe, I know that we're going to have that sisterhood, that we're going to build that camaraderie because people want to feel safe, right? They, yeah. that's, that's their ultimate. What's next for your voice? Do you know what? It's not big and it doesn't have to be big. I think you should bloom where you're planted and I think that you should pretty much swim in your own lane. I think you should. I'm here to serve the people of Brisbane in a role that is to raise money for charity and we specialise in raising money for the lesser-known charities, but um, the lesser-funded ones, but they still do the most amazing work. For example, did you know that social security, social services, is now the um, number one funded um, thing by the federal government? But yet out there, these charities, these 3,000 registered charities are all working together like, I guess, a big spider web, and we rest on that. Mm. So my job how I'm going to use my voice is to support others who support the Brisbane community. And so if I'm doing that, I feel like I'm doing the right thing. If I am helping to raise money so these people can take um, the emphasis of government responsibility and put it back where it belongs, where sometimes as a community spirit, not always, then that is good. If we can work together to support the people who really need us, then that's that's. That's, that's the role that I have been put in for this season and you've got to look in terms of seasons. This is a season I don't want to look back on and go, I wish I had done more with my voice. Lady Meres, you are an absolute shining light and uh, I think that Brisbane is lucky that you are walking beside your husband in this journey and I thank you today for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure. No, it is me who is blessed that I have this opportunity and thank you for um, having this conversation with me and I hope you have it with women who are just amazing and this is what I would say. I would say, and this kind of did surprise me a little bit, I'm not sure why, but the women of Brisbane have been so beautiful and kind to me. And I have seen just how amazing and strong that sisterhood is when it's supported. And I want to actually say to all those women out there, thank you, and that your kindness has transformed me. And this is the thing. You never know when that kindness that you bestow on someone will transform their lives. And so I have found this role because of the kindness shown to me to be transformative. So thank you to all the women out there and to men who have supported me too, but this is a women's podcast. Thank you. Thank you, you beautiful, beautiful songbird. Thanks for joining me today to strengthen your voice. You want to be heard and you deserve to be heard. We're here to make sure that the woman's voice is heard. I'm Lisa Lachlan-Bell, and together we are The Woman's Voice. Thanks to our official sponsor, The Voice Draw. For more information on your voice, go to thewomansvoice.com.au.